and welcome to another episode of the Not This Podcast, the podcast that seeks to deconstruct fear-based belief patterns and systems with curiosity and love. I am your host, Tina Marie Olson, and today's conversation with Janet Raftis is raw, it's vulnerable, it's super expansive. It's her story of how she healed from a lot of really hard shit in order to fully live in her genius and in her gifts. And she is incredible at what she does. But I think one of the most important takeaways is her willingness to face all of it in order to truly become who she was meant to be. So I hope you enjoy and I'm sending you love. so good to be here. It's so good to have you. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on and and talk with me today. And Janet is a master energy healer. She is also a channel of the divine feminine. She has an amazing group um, that I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail, but a group for healing um, that comes together every Sunday. We receive healing activation from her and we have this amazing community together, and then she does additional ceremonies with us. So there are many, many ways to work with Janet, both in group and one-on-one and in retreat. So we'll get to all that towards the end, but (laughs) just wanted to plant those seeds because I have a feeling that you'll love Janet just as much as I do, and you'll probably want to work with her more. So first of all, as we jump in, what are you grateful for today? I'm super grateful for the work that I'm doing in the world just came out of like an amazing healing session and actually a couple of them today. And they, you know, they always fill me up in such a beautiful way. And, you know, especially with how things are right now, just the whole world being in a bit of a pause. um, It feels so like, I feel so much appreciation for the work that I'm doing um, and my ability to do it, even in these circumstances. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You've been doing distance healing work for a number of years now. I have been probably, you know, near or full-time or near full-time for about probably eight years now, nine years, 10. Mm -hmm. It's been a a while. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one amazing thing about obviously the energies that are accompanying this cosmic shift that came with coronavirus and having a global pandemic that's the first in our lifetime, it's come with a lot of energy. But one of the things that's remained consistent for you is you're able to still offer services to your clients. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of why I just feel so blessed. Um, Certainly, I have an office here in Atlanta, and I do see clients in my office. And I do have some clients that really prefer that type Mm -hmm. of work. But you know, I have a lot of clients in Atlanta who do solely remote work with me or who mix it up a little bit depending on their mood since the sessions are a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, so the shift from, from in-person to remote has been pretty seamless during this experience, just explaining to people more than anything what energy is, how it works, how a remote session can be just as powerful as an in-person session. Um, so a little bit of education in the process, but for the mm-hmm. most part, I'm taking a few more things online, right, than mm-hmm. what, I, what I normally offer online. But for the most part, it's been 
it's actually stretched me a little bit because um, I've been thinking for a while, like, wow, I really want to do a, an online retreat with the divine feminine. And I had just not quite gotten to it yet. Mm. And now it's in the work. So I'm oh, being wow. stretched into some good things. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I love that you just brought up the divine feminine because that's <laughs> one of the things that I had front of mind in wanting to talk with you about today. Mm. Um, so tell me a little bit about like what first started to draw you or to open your eyes to this concept that there is a divine feminine energy? Yeah. So I would say I've been aware of it for a while and attracted to it for a long time. Like I was kind of a, um, a fierce little feminist in, in, in my youth, but it was, it was actually feminism from a wounded um, female perspective. Um, it was a feminism of, I have to do it all and I have to be everything and I have to have all of, I mean, have to do all the things that were traditionally assigned to women, like be able to keep up a house and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. While also, you know, playing sports and excelling in school and, you know, working mm-hmm. full time. And so my idea of feminism was that a woman had to do it all. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've, I've felt that since I was little, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I was born on, on the cusp of the seventies. I was born in 60, the end of 69. And so I was born into a, a, a general, like early feminism, like when feminism was really getting a voice. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think there were a lot of really conflicting messages in that. Um, I think um, my my parents' generation probably didn't fully understand what it meant. Things were changing. Women were, you know, really entering the workforce for, you know, fully entering the first workforce. Mm-hmm. And, and kids were kind of growing up on their own. And so I was very confused about the feminine mm-hmm. for a long time. But I, I do know that I've always been drawn. And, I, you know, I have some Greek heritage. My dad's family is Greek. So I was always really obsessed with the gods and goddesses. Mm. And always loved the goddess Artemis. I mean, and you know um, that that's, she's been a huge part of my, my growth. And I even have a dog named Artemis now, but I've always had this fascination with the gods and goddesses. I enjoyed studying that in school. So I had this awareness that there was something more to the feminine principle, but I didn't ever take the time to really tune into that. And it took I mean, several years of healing work. I've been doing this work, you know, almost since I started my own healing journey. And I, I started my own healing journey about 20 years ago. And, um, and initially it was like just to get my head above water because I was, I was so traumatized and I had such strong PTSD that I couldn't cope. I mean, I was definitely in the toxic feminine and, um, and at the same time I was drowning in it. But mm-hmm. I didn't have that awareness. I'd, all I knew was that my life was almost unbearable. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I got my head above water enough to, I guess, go beyond damage control, right? Mm-hmm. And once I got beyond damage control, I, I stumbled upon the work of, um, stumbled, I serendipitously right? <laughs> came, <laughs> came across the work of Megan Watterson. And that was um, seven or eight years ago now mm-hmm. um, when her book Reveal first came out, her first book. And um, mm-hmm. that was the turning point for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like where I really was like, oh, I get this. Oh my God. And, and the huge, and the message that she shares in Mary Magdalene, which I think is one at the forefront of all of her work is that 
you know, we are all worthy just by virtue of being here. Mm -hmm. That was not something that I had grown up knowing. It wasn't Mm -hmm. something that I had even considered as Mm -hmm. a possibility for myself. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, even when I was, after I started my healing journey, when I was, was aware of, I don't feel worthy of blank and blank and blank, or I don't, you know, I don't deserve, or I'm not enough. I had become aware of those things, but I still hadn't really internalized and integrated this idea of intrinsic worthiness, right? Mm -hmm. That I didn't have to, because a big part of my story is trying to prove my worthiness. Mm -hmm. And so that flip was Mm -hmm. really huge for me. Mm -hmm. Worthiness without the hustle. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I got chills so many times as you talked. (laughs) Um, I think your story is so relatable um, Mm. because you were born into the cusp of a culture changing, but a lot of times when a culture changes and shifts, it goes from a a out of balance polarity, which was that women only had a particular place, right? And there, and there was, you know, that was very defined. It was very boxed in. It was, it was in the home. It was not in leadership roles. It was not out in the workforce. It was being Mm -hmm. away. I mean, I have relatives who are part of like the suffragette movement and stuff. And it's like that many generations ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden women are burning bras (laughs) and (laughs) um, there was this kind of fierce feminism that came out mm-hmm. in response to right so it's like running to the other polarity so totally. of course we're not back at balance yet by the time you're born people are just running over to the other polarity and saying mm-hmm. those cages aren't working for us but then it's like there's almost a fuck you mm-hmm. and i'll do it all myself right and i think where we're rising to now is this place of letting go of codependence and enmeshment and all these energies that had us locked into certain paradigms and were being asked to meet as interdependent. Yeah. And interdependent requires this like grounded embodied sense of I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I'm worthy. Mm -hmm. I can do this and I get to choose who I do this with and what energies are in those relations, whether it's work or personal or whatever. Yeah. And it is a more divine feminine perspective now, even though a lot of people aren't calling it that necessarily. Right. Mm. But with the divine feminine perspective, we have discernment. Mm. We have the holy hell. Yes. That you and I love so Mm -hmm. much. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that, like when something truly lights us up, like really being able to align with the with our higher selves, being open to being receptive. Right. And, and that essence of beingness, which is so feminine, in its core, in its balanced core, right? In the, in the, in the essence of the divine feminine, there's a receptivity and a nurturance mm. and a love, a, a lovingness. And, and I think part of what we're recognizing is that, you know, um, it's not just the divine feminine, it's the divine feminine and the divine masculine that all of us have both of those qualities. Mm. But what's happened is that we've gone over to even feminism sort of dipping into toxic masculinity. Right. And, and what I'm so grateful for all of the feminists who came before me because they really, I mean, they busted through so much and I mean, right. so much gratitude to them for that. And so it was all of these, it was these toxic perspectives that really were the cages. But when we can drift over here to the divine masculine and the divine feminine and holding both of those in our container, 
so the essence of the feminine of receiving and nurturing and honoring and and really like um loving from that maternal right feminine even if you're not a mother but that that ability to nurture and hold something in love and 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 really nurture it to life combined with the divine masculine which is like a divinely aligned action right mm -hmm. it's not action just for the sake of action which we have a lot of in our culture in which i was totally uh a proponent of like just stay busy be busy do all the shit <laughs> you know and then and then you'll yeah. you'll feel worthy if you do all the stuff right mm -hmm. um but when we're really able to bring those energies in and balance them and for me i had a lot of toxic masculinity so even my feminism for me personally really really sat in the toxic masculine mm -hmm. and i mean I didn't even, I mean, for years, I wouldn't even wear a skirt. I was like, really did not identify with women at all. I tried to disenfranchise myself from womanhood, really, mm -hmm. which was a part of that upbringing of mine. I think it was a part of the fact that I was raped and that I had mm -hmm. been abused, that I felt, um, I did not feel safe in my feminine container, mm -hmm. right? So there was a lot that played into my, my particular recipe, right, mm -hmm. for toxic masculinity. But what mm -hmm. happened, the end result was toxic masculinity, was me feeling like I had to go, 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 do, 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 be the best, superly, like super competitive, like mm -hmm. so over the top competitive, you know, to where at some point in time, like it just broke me. Well, it broke me in high school. And then I rallied and managed to get like a, and the whole second round of it um, until about midway through my master's program. And I managed to still, you know, I managed to still graduate with great grades, but like was really starting to fall apart mm -hmm. at that time again. Mm -hmm. And, and that was in my late twenties that I finished that up. And then you know, by the time I was 33 and, and gave birth to my son, those years were years of like really unraveling, mm -hmm. like really unraveling. Like when my, my alcoholism and drug addiction were at its peak, where I was super lost, where I was really frozen in trauma. So that by the time I got pregnant with my son and stopped drinking and drugging and smoking cigarettes and doing all the things that I did mm -hmm. from one day to the next, right? From mm -hmm. like the moment that I saw the thing on the pregnancy test, you mm -hmm. know, from the moment I got the positive result mm -hmm. to the next, I was completely stripped of everything that was cut, like all my defense mechanisms and right. all of my ways all of coping. Yeah. yeah. My, I remember my, um, my counselor who actually was the person who also taught me theta healing. So she was very integrated. I remember her teaching us during a Theta Healing course, don't ever take away people's coping mechanisms when they don't have their new way of being really like foundationalized because mm -hmm. it's so destabilizing, right? Yeah. And you made yeah. it through. <laughs> Barely. Fuck, that must have been hard. <laughs> yeah, it was. And I was living in Costa Rica at the time too, which in some ways was great, you know, because I was very connected to nature and it was very calm there. And I was on the beach and it, in some ways it was really good, but in other ways it was very isolating. I didn't mm -hmm. have a strong community there. Mm -hmm. um, so when I started unraveling, it was pretty intense. Um, yeah. And I, you know, it's funny because I look back at that and I'm like, who was that person? It just feels like, and like energetically, it was like so dense and heavy and sticky. And also it was where my awakening started. Yeah. Because 
I, I had the opportunity, again, synchronicity working in my favor, that I was introduced to Reiki. I mean, I had my first Reiki, I received my first Reiki session from a girlfriend of mine who was traveling. And she was like, I learned Reiki since the last time you saw me. Want to try it? And I was like, sure. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, oh, and then right after that, reading a book called The Holographic Universe, which like blew mm-hmm. my mind open because it explained scientifically explained all of my sensitivities and my psychic mm. abilities and my ability to understand energy, which I thought was just wackiness. And right. Then, you probably um, thought you were crazy. And I then I was this- crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was crazy. And then I was like, holy crap, like there's scientific evidence of this stuff. And so that fell into place. And then like two weeks after that, I reconnected with somebody who'd moved back to Costa Rica, who was then teaching Reiki. And I mean, it just, that, and that was where it started. So, but mm-hmm. it took me being in, I mean, I, I wasn't suicidal, but, and I was thrilled that I had Jake. Mm-hmm. So those two things were working in my favor, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but everything else in my life was like unbearable. Mm-hmm. Like I just the deepest depression and probably some postpartum depression on top mm-hmm. of the PTSD. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was what, took it for me to crack that open right but it it really did take like you said like it took my foundation being pulled completely out from underneath me to be able to then find I had to find the tools like it really Mm -hmm. even though I wasn't suicidal it was verging on life or death Mm -hmm. for me to have those tools and so thankfully spirit intervened Mm -hmm. or allowed spirit to intervene you know all the above yeah (laughs) So much of what, of what you're saying, it just feels to me like, of course you had so much ability to fight and overcome. And once it almost did you in in high school, of course you were able to re-up on it because it's almost Mm -hmm. like if we're going to be this aligned to our souls and this powerful helping Mm -hmm. people fully embrace their divinity and the truth of who they are. It's almost like we had to wear the most confining costumes. We had to have mm-hmm. drank the, the largest portion of the <laughs> patriarchal <laughs> yeah. toxic Kool-Aid, right? Like, mm-hmm. because it had to, we had to, it's almost like we had to fully try it on mm-hmm. and realize how much it just doesn't work so that we have yeah. this perpetual fuel in our engines because there's something about human resiliency where I can't really remember how much pain I was in X number mm-hmm. of years ago. I can describe it. I can say it. Yeah. But if it was any less bad than it was, I may mm-hmm. have even forgotten about it. Right. Enough to even keep doing something. You know what I'm <laughs> right. saying? Like it's, and they yeah. talk so much about like the depth of the darkness is in direct proportion to how much light then we're able to shine right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I for sure dipped into the shadow and, and the only way for me to go was towards the light. Mm-hmm. And, and I do believe that it was a part of why I came here in this lifetime. You know, we, we've all, and, and you and I both came here with, with somewhat similar purposes, right? To be on the same path. There are a lot of people who didn't, and that mm-hmm. is totally fine. That's mm-hmm. their prerogative. That's their path. That's great. But my path coming in as a highly sensitive empathic, intuitive person was to experience the fullness of that. 
Mm. And I think experience the fullness of that meant, you know, there was a lot of wounding to experience. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. I also think that my, my soul was doing a little bit of a boot camp in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. so. <laughs> well, and you, the courage, the bravery, the perseverance, and the self-love to be where you are today after all of those experiences is truly miraculous. It is miraculous. Yeah, it really is. And, and there have been, I mean, we, we touched on this before we started recording. Uh, you asked of like turning points, right? I mean, there have been a couple of huge turning points. One of them was when I discovered the work of Megan Watterson, but there was one before that who also was somebody that um, we both know, uh, Jen Pasteloff, when she was just starting out doing her workshops, um, I at the time was better because I was sober. I had been actually like sober, sober and recovery sober for about three or four years at um, the time that this happened. And um, but I was still living through a lot of fear. I was still in my wounded feminine I knew I wanted, I mean, I had been doing healing work. I was offering some healing sessions sort of on the side from my restaurant job. I was terrified to leave my restaurant job. I was terrified to do what I love to do. I was just stuck. I was so stuck. So I had done enough healing work to recognize that there was something more, but not enough to get out of it Mm -hmm. and, um, or to get fully out of it. And so I ended up, I was heard about her workshop through my yoga studio and, um, and I went there with one of my girlfriends and um, to Jen Pasteloff's. I mean, it would, this was like way back when, when she only had like 15 people at a workshop. And um, Wow. So this must have been like, oh, oh, this was like nine years ago, maybe 10 years, nine or 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Because um, by and, the time I found her, it was like 2013 and she was selling out big. Yeah. It was yeah. a couple years before that. I want to yeah. say that it was like. 10,000, uh, 2010 or 11. Um, and she'd given out those little, you know, tattoos, those temporary tattoos, Mm -hmm. um, that she used to give out. Mm -hmm. And the one that I had put on the inside of my wrist was what are you manifesting? And I went to the workshop. It was great. About two days later, I was standing in the bathroom in my apartment, apartment, washing my hands. And I looked down at that little tattoo that was peeling off. And, um, and, and I had one of those like white lightning moments, you know, I mean, I had one before getting sober, like really getting sober, not like quitting drinking, but like really getting sober when I quit drinking versus when I quit drinking, when I got pregnant to when I quit drinking after I started drinking again mm-hmm. <laughs> and got like actually sober. And, um, it was a moment like that where I just like all of a sudden spirit grabbed me by the shoulders and shook me and, Mm. and gave to me an understanding that was so deeply rooted in my bones that there was no way I could do anything but that. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the understanding, the epiphany was that nothing was going to change if I didn't change. Mm. Right. And that of course was something I had heard before. Sure. But but having it in every cell and every bone is so different. Is so different, and it was that was what happened. It was like it transfused my entire system with this, and immediately I made changes. Like it, like that minute, like I went out into my living room and walked over to my computer where there was an email about uh, from IIN Institute for Integrative Nutrition about health becoming a health coach, 
And I signed up for it and I said, fuck it. I don't care that I don't have the money. I'm going to put it on a credit card and I'm going to do this because Mm -hmm. this is what my soul wants to do. And I didn't ultimately, I mean, I went through the program and became certified as a health coach. That's not what I'm doing, obviously, but it was the thing that opened the doors and Mm -hmm. it put me in community of healers Mm -hmm. and it allowed me to own my power as a healer. And it got Mm -hmm. me to a point where I was like, why do I keep skirting the issue? I'm a freaking healer. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. this is what I want to be doing. I want to be mm-hmm. facilitating healing. And so that was a huge turning point for me, you know, and, and what put me, you know, on that was when I first really embodied the, I can live my truth in this world. Yeah. Oh, so freaking powerful. Mm-hmm. And as you talk about being in a workshop and it being downloaded into every cell of your body and then going and mm-hmm. taking action. I think it's such a beautiful reminder to just mm-hmm. keep taking the steps that feel available mm-hmm. because our souls are working so hard for us mm-hmm. that when it's time to take the bigger step, like we're being prepared the whole time. Yeah. And we know, we know when we're, Deep down, we know when we're avoiding something mm-hmm. versus, you know, taking baby steps. And if you're listening mm-hmm. right now and you feel like, oh, there's something big I've been avoiding, but I'm just terrified, mm-hmm. um, especially, I mean, I think everyone has a trauma background. There are, there are degrees, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, on a spectrum probably. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important to listen to, you know, there's a lot out there that says just push through terror. And like, mm-hmm. that's pretty, that can be pretty traumatizing too. Absolutely. And, um, and I think healing through trauma and being able to trust our bodies, our nervous systems and vice mm-hmm. versa, our, our nervous systems, trusting our decisions, all that is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have something big out there that you know you need to do, but you're terrified, like mm-hmm. your soul is totally open to negotiating like the smallest stuff that does feel okay right now. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you put it that way. And it is so true. And it's taken my nervous system years to Mm -hmm. get to a place of fully trusting. I don't even know if it fully trusts, but for the most part, trusting, right? Mm -hmm. But one thing that I love the idea of baby steps, and I find that to be so true. I mean, it's a message that I got for myself and a message I've gotten for so many of my clients is to to take it easy, you know, because our Mm -hmm. nervous systems, especially, and, and you're right, everybody has experienced some sort of trauma they may not know even that they've experienced trauma because our society doesn't tend to qualify a lot of things as, tra- of tra- as trauma that are trauma. Falling off your bicycle as a child can be a trauma experience. It might not be, but it can be. Mm-hmm. Right? And it depends so, how it feels to you in personally. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's hard to be a human. And I mm-hmm. think we have, especially with some of the tougher things, grief, trauma, mm-hmm. we have such a tendency to do a comparative analysis Yeah. of like, well, I didn't go to war. Mm-hmm. So who am I to say that I have trauma or PTSD or whatever? And yet my right. nervous system is screaming like, can you please help me? <laughs> yeah, totally. And some of it might not even be recognizable, right? Like one thing that I really recognized in myself and that I've recognized in a lot of clients as well is that something called empathic trauma or that I've called empathic trauma. Um, And that is, you know, I grew up in a household that wasn't overtly violent, Mm. right? But there was so much repressed anger Mm -hmm. all around me with some explosions here or there. Mm -hmm. But you would never, 
I mean, I think I grew up in a, in a time when you would never even qualify what I grew up in as dysfunctional at all. Right. right. And, and yet my nervous system was constantly like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? Is something going to happen? Jacked up. I had adrenaline going all the time and I was stuck in a freeze response from way before I ever, I mean, I was um, molested as a, as a young child as well, but my nervous system was in a re freeze response for most of my life. Right. Oh. So, and I, and I find that to be true for a lot of people, mm -hmm. even people who don't have what they would consider trauma, mm -hmm. that because our, our society doesn't know how to honor a trauma response, mm -hmm. right? We're taught to repress and shut down. Mm -hmm. Don't cry, right? Something happens. Don't cry. Be strong. Buck up. Mm -hmm. You're okay. What if we just said, okay, oh my gosh, you're hurt. Mm -hmm. Let's tend to your wound right now. Mm -hmm. Like what's coming up? Are you, oh my God, do you need to cry? Yes, cry. Mm -hmm. Let me hold you while you cry mm -hmm. or whatever that person mm -hmm. needs, right? Mm -hmm. um, so for me, to get back to the original point of this, there were a, a lot of baby steps. And one of the baby steps that I had around fear, because fear was my thing. I mean, it was, and that's what the freeze, the, the stuck mm -hmm. freeze response was what kept me in that fear, mm -hmm. right? And I could not get out of it. That was my stagnation, mm -hmm. my stuckness. And after that moment in the bathroom with what are you manifesting uh, on my wrist, um, what, I, what I vowed to do was to do one thing every day that scared me. And it was okay if it was a little thing. Mm. Like most of the time it was little things. Mm -hmm. Most of the time it was like opening a piece of mail I didn't want to open mm -hmm. or, you know, sometimes it was something more like calling a utility company to, to you know, complain about my internet connection. Or mm. it was to have a conversation, you know, sometimes it was bigger, having a conversation with a loved one that I didn't want to have. But a lot mm -hmm. of times it was really little. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it was just doing something super, what a lot of people would qualify as simple, but to me at the time did not feel simple. Yeah. And what I love about that is how wise it is to set yourself up for success. Mm -hmm. If you're going to try to undo trauma <laughs> on your own, <laughs> which there are amazing supporters out there. So if you're listening mm -hmm. and you're like, oh shit, I, there's so much, um, mm -hmm. just get curious. Also pick up the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Great book. You could almost use it like an oracle. I did mm -hmm. at one point of just like opened whatever page <laughs> happened to be the EMDR page. And I was like, oh, apparently that's what's next for me. Um, but like doing what you can have success at mm -hmm. because then you're actually unwinding the belief yeah. patterns that X, Y, and Z all aren't safe. Right. Exactly. And you're, you're unwinding those and you're rewiring yourself for faith and resiliency. So I built right. my faith muscle during that because what would happen was I would open the piece of mail and I'd be like, Oh, I can handle this. Mm -hmm. right? <laughs> you know, like I can manage, I mean, I managed every, all of it. None of it was bigger than me. I'm here talking to you now. Right. 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 But at the time it feels like there's an actual, and the body thinks there's an actual tiger in the room. Actual danger. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So oh. taking those baby steps was hugely empowering for me. Mm -hmm. And, and there's very little, I mean, you know about this about me now, but there's very little I won't do. Like I might be scared. Like I remember the first time I did a Facebook live. I mean, my heart was like shaking in my chest. I was so scared, but I did it. Mm -hmm. And then, and I do them all the time now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I have a lot of stories about that now. And that is because I built this muscle, right? Mm -hmm. Like now I'm like, I might be scared of something. I might be scared of it for a while. It might take me a little bit to get to it, 
but typically I'll do it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's because I was patient with myself. I was compassionate mm-hmm. with myself. Mm-hmm. I took my time with it and let it integrate. Mm-hmm. And if we need that, like one extra kick, because sometimes in life mm-hmm. I feel like, so part of the, the wounded feminine was that we had to give completely of ourselves to other in order to have any worthiness, right? And mm-hmm. other might be family, it might be kids, it might be work, mm-hmm. but it was, it's this, I'm going to serve at all costs, kind of martyr yeah. them. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I think the, the balanced perspective is that when we're doing what's aligned for us, it inherently also benefits mm-hmm. others. So I think about just as you're telling that Facebook story, mm-hmm. here I am on the receiving end of getting to watch the group I was talking about at the beginning of, of our conversation, your divine healing group. You do a, a Monday morning energy reading every week mm-hmm. on Facebook Live and whether we see it you know, live at the mm-hmm. time or whether we catch it later, I'm so grateful that you moved through that barrier because yeah. I get the benefit of it, right? And so <laughs> yeah. part of what we forget is that when we're so terrified of things, a lot of times mm-hmm. that terrified voice is like, who wants to see this? What am I going to, whatever those stories are. Yeah. And it's like, yet there's people on the other end who are going to mm-hmm. be super duper grateful that you're doing whatever it is that you feel called to do. Yeah. I love that. And that I, I love, I, I love the validation of hearing that from you and mm-hmm. to know that what I am offering is valued in that way. And to know that that was a huge step that really us, you know, it did a lot for my business as well because it brought a lot of new people to me who hadn't seen or heard of me before. But I did want to speak too to that toxic feminine you were talking about, because that, that has been one of my biggest challenges mm. in this life is the overserving and the overdoing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, it was one of the ways in which I numbed out, especially after, well, maybe not especially after, but after I stripped away all of the other vices, right. After I stopped drinking and drugging and smoking, I was left with doing. Mm-hmm. And so I was a big overserver um, to my detriment, right. And to the detriment of of my son. And so there was a moment when, I mean, there've been a lot of moments because I'm still in this journey. I still have to check in a lot and be like, you know, does this feel aligned? And, and that divine feminine is the, is this the alignment? Do I feel this to be something that I will move through with ease and grace? Is it light me up? Is it something as an offering for the world that does not put me at my own risk? Right. So Mm -hmm. Because before, what, 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 you know, what happens is I had a lot of burnout. I had a lot mm-hmm. of fatigue. Um, and so I really, I mean, I think for me, as in, in, in the field I'm in, one of the things I've had to really work on is, is boundaries, mm-hmm. is the healthy boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. And, and not over-serving. It was really easy for me to overgive a lot in my early years as a healer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had to really come to this place of honoring the value of my services, the time um, frame of my services, mm-hmm. um, how I show up in my services, how I don't show up in my services. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because <clears throat> I was just having this conversation with one of my girlfriends who's also in this field. And, you know, we were talking about how, um, and, and both of us do things for free. Like I just did, uh, I just you know, provided a free offering last night. Um, so I, and I remember when I didn't have money and I remember how grateful I was for 
things that people did for free that I was able to benefit from. Mm -hmm. And also Mm -hmm. what I recognize now is that when I do something for free now, it needs to really light me up. Yes. It needs to be something that really I feel called to do. Yeah. Um, and that I can provide in that way. Um, but I seen the conversation was around, um, you know, some, some younger healers who are where I was in the past, um, who were sharing on Facebook of like, people need to show up and offer things for free right now. People can't afford Mm. it, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And, and which is, I there's no judgment there. It's just because I, I have been through all of these phases. Mm-hmm. It was for me, my reflection, that's what I want to share. It's my reflection. I had, because there's my initial knee jerk is oh, I need to give more. Oh, right. And, and that's yeah. because that's the habituated response right. in my head. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm selfish. Right. Mm. And I had to catch myself there and say, wait a minute, this is how I pay for my home. And this right. is how I support my child and yeah. my family. Yeah. And this is how I pay for my office. And yeah. this is how I get electricity and take mm-hmm. care of the dog. Mm-hmm. Right. The, uh, the electricity company does not want to do a trade for me. <laughs> you know, yeah. I love that you mentioned that because there's a lot of people right now talking about financial systems. And I do think we're due for a shift. And also, mm-hmm. um, you recommended the book to me, Love Money, Money Loves You. Yeah. And, um, if, if you haven't, I'll put this stuff in the show notes, um, including Megan Watterson's books. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's so interesting mm-hmm. because even in the discussion right now of why your services are valuable, mm-hmm. there's a talk about a justification. Yeah. I have bills to pay. We haven't yet on a collective level gotten to the place Mm -hmm. where we just understand that healers have value. Mm -hmm. We understand that lawyers have value. Mm -hmm. We don't expect a lot of free things from them. (laughs) We understand that doctors have value. We don't expect Mm -hmm. a lot of free things from them. Yeah. But, and this came up earlier and it, it passed, but obviously now's the, the mm-hmm. time to bring it up in our conversation. But it did hit me at another point in time too, mm-hmm. of like part of what's so challenging. And I want to use that word in a, mm-hmm. in a, in its fullness. Mm-hmm. It's not just, right. it's not a victim statement. It just mm-hmm. is about doing this work, whether it's coaching or healing or whatever, is there comes a justification component of why mm-hmm. it has yeah. value because mm-hmm. culturally and societally, we put supporting others in some sort of category that required no professional help. Right. <laughs> and if anything, you should kind of be ashamed or mm-hmm. not really tell people if you were getting professional help for your, we'll call it your interior life, which I don't right. even know. I mean, yes, and it affects everything you do in every way. Right. Be, right. But it, I think... I have found like a deep sadness and grief within myself. And I really Mm -hmm. recognized this as I was reading Glennon Doyle's Untamed. Have you read it? Mm -hmm. I have. It's so good. And she says at one point in time in the book, and this just brought me to instant hysterics and it felt like my soul just releasing, Mm -hmm. releasing something of, she said, in other times of history, my daughter and I would have been considered 
like sages mm. or the wise ones, or mm-hmm. we would have been, we would have had a special place in society. Right. Yes. We may have been considered a little crazy or whatever, mm-hmm. but like we would have, our gifts basically would have been honored. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we're having to recreate that mm-hmm. one step yeah. at a time. So not only are we on this personal healing journey, of course, this journey mm-hmm. of expansion, but it's also this like big, huge reteaching society of like, we, we can't go on living with just a few things categorized as valuable. Right. And everyone else somehow <clears throat> hustling. Yeah. 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 I love that perspective. And that's really true. Right. And I think that that is a big part of, for me, like my growth has been a reclamation of my value. I mean, we started off this conversation Mm -hmm. with me talking about the worthiness, right? Mm -hmm. And so how interesting would it be for me to go into a profession where I have to put my own price tag on my services, Mm -hmm. right? And where I have to put some sort of sense of value and where I have to boundary my time and my energy, right? I mean, of course I would go into something like this because this is what I most need to learn, right? Right. (laughs) And how even though I've gotten so much better with all of this it's still something that causes me to of course you know because it's in the air yeah (laughs) it still is knocking at your door every Mm -hmm. yeah you know and and what's really amazing is this is all shifting Mm -hmm. it is shifting and I think even more now Mm -hmm. right like it's starting the shift is accelerating Mm -hmm. um and we're gonna see a lot of I mean there's so I mean I I can't even tell you how many people I still see regularly who are at the beginning of a spiritual awakening Mm -hmm. it's so many people Mm -hmm. that are waking up Mm -hmm. that are seeing things differently Mm -hmm. that are wanting to all of a sudden leave their corporate job to do something more like this Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. um and I think we're going to see even more of that on the other side of the coronavirus and what's mm-hmm. happening now. You know, yeah. people are starting to really reevaluate their priorities. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who are experiencing this time as a big dark night. Yeah, and absolutely. I send them so much love. I remember my first or second dark nights <laughs> and it's terrifying. And then to have it happening, have the stories be all around you. Mm-hmm. I had the benefit of kind of dark nighting it alone, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. stories were a little bit easier to see as stories because mm-hmm. they weren't everybody's story. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a really tricky I give the souls who are, who are going through dark nights right now, I give the, and the humans that are associated with those souls, yeah. <laughs> huge credit. It's not easy to go through a, a collective awakening. No, it's not. I mean, that's the thing too, right? Is that a lot of people, I think we have, I mean, the, the word awakening sounds so cool, doesn't it? You're like, <laughs> yeah, right. I want that. Right. But then you start to go through it and holy crap it is hard as fuck Mm -hmm. because you have to heal all your wounds right Right. like that is a part of the awakening is the healing and you know I think a lot of people want to spiritually bypass a lot of stuff I think I 
I probably tried to spiritually bypass some stuff early on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want to go straight to the love and the light, but you can't do that. Like mm-hmm. you have to, you have to go through those dark nights of the soul. And there are unfortunately usually more than one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are intense and powerful, but they are the things that accelerates the awakening more than anything else is getting mm-hmm. through that. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's so true. And it's interesting to me because as I feel into the energy of what's coming, healing wounds is going to come. It feels like it's going to come with more ease for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, would I have agree a feeling with that. that what you and I signed up for was, I, I call it like the bushwhacker machete route. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, totally. Right. But then the path is cleared for others. Yeah. And like, there's, right. There might still be twigs that poke out every once in a while, but it's different than having to carry a machete along. And I think that's why it's been so important that there have been waves of awakening mm-hmm. prior to this. I mean, I can't tell you how many years that I've been told in various formats you signed up to be a teacher through all of this. Basically, mm-hmm. do your do your credentialing work, get your PhD, because mm-hmm. uh, you're going to need to be ready. And now yeah. all the shit, Sunday, it's happening. It's like, holy shit, <laughs> it's yeah, time to be ready. Totally. <laughs> yeah, because because that PhD in this particular field is those dark nights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure is. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and you know what I'm so grateful for is even in those, there was an unrelenting energy of turning back isn't even an option. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't, you can't fit back in that old container. You once can't, you come out, right? You can't. Yeah. 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 And whoo, it's so, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Even when it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that is the thing that has shifted the most for me. I think if I could sum up all of my healing work into just like kind of one energy and it would be that like with respect to my current state of being, right. Is that no matter how hard things are right now, they're still good. Mm-hmm. Like my life is still good. Mm-hmm. Like I can be in the throes of a healing process where I am like bawling and my stomach hurts and I feel like I'm about to puke. I'm crying so hard and like come out of it and be like laughing hysterically the next moment because life is good. Yeah. Like I just felt a lot of, I let a lot of pain move through my body, mm-hmm. but my life is good. Yeah. I'm, yeah. And you no got this. Hap- yeah. And I've got it. Like no matter what's happening, all of this stuff, I don't know what's going to happen with all this stuff with the coronavirus. I have no idea. There's a lot of factors that are really unknown. Yeah but my life is good. And no matter what happens, I'm still going to be okay. Like that's it. It doesn't, even if I were to lose everything, like the worst case scenario, right. I I could go to the worst case. I could lose all of my possessions and maybe even lose a person or two, even if that were to happen. And I hope it doesn't, but even if it were, Mm. I would still be okay. Mm -hmm. I would grieve, I would cry, I would mm-hmm. probably scream and yell and get pissed mm-hmm. off and I might even break some stuff, mm-hmm. right? It would be mm-hmm. hard. But overall, I'm okay. Yeah. Because our very okayness comes from no longer being afraid of any aspect of what yeah. it means to be human. It's the resiliency that we cultivate. It over totally that, is. Right? And, and our culture totally put anger, no, no. 
Mm-hmm. So we either saw anger as not expressed at all or expressed foully, again, mm-hmm. you know, taken out on a human, right? Yeah. Or an animal or something. Mm-hmm. Not okay. Yeah. Um, crying, let's get the person. I see parents and they're well-intended, but they're laughing when the kid falls because they know if the kid laughs, then they'll mm-hmm. avoid the temper tantrum. But it's yeah. like, why are, why do we try to control the feeling mm-hmm. that was just going to naturally arise, which it may yeah. have been laughter. I don't know, but it's like trying yeah. to nip it in the bud. Right. And mm-hmm. grief, grief mm-hmm. is one of the grief settled in a really special place with me, not only because of having to really be with it um, mm-hmm. in a number of different formats, <laughs> formats, it's <sounds> like <laughs> collection. So technical. <laughs> But also when um, Theta Healing believes that if you don't grieve, it actually leaves like a wound on your soul, Mm -hmm. whether that particular language is accurate or whatever, it it did something in the middle of me of like, yeah, grief is important to Mm -hmm. more than just my human self's ability Mm -hmm. to move through things. It's important to all of me. It's part of the reason I came into a place that has so much contrast and so much loss and, Mm -hmm. and so such a feeling of finality with death and all of that. Mm -hmm. Right. And when we reclaim all these parts of ourselves, we reclaim a sacred anger, a fierce anger and anger. We know the difference between an anger because we're trying to cover up a wound versus an anger. That's actually, no, this is a boundary. This is a, this is a value alignment. This is a this is a sacred yeah. thing that I need to go speak into the world. Like when we become super discerning, it's almost like, mm-hmm. you know, they talk about Eskimos having however many hundred words for snow or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the Hawaiians have just as many for wind. It's this becoming super intimate with the human experience mm-hmm. and loving every part of it. Yeah. And that is a gift that I feel like is, is earned. Yeah, it's earned by actually going through all of that and really feeling it, right? Really feeling that anger, that sacred rage. And and even, you know, uh, being connected to the divine feminine has supported me in that as well. Just when I think of sacred rage, I think of Sekhmet, right? And mm. the energy of the goddess Sekhmet really terrified me initially mm. because she's all about that that sacred anger. And, but I think as I've become more comfortable with anger, as I've allowed myself to experience my anger and truly understand my anger as the anger that was repressed was my, uh, it was in addition to being the anger, right? It was like my boundaries being repressed, Mm -hmm. my ability to say what was not okay with me Mm -hmm. being repressed. Mm -hmm. Right. And so as these, as the containers have opened up and all of this, you know, stuff has started to move through me, it's really taken me to an empowered place of being like, well, I was angry because my boundary had been overstepped or this had been done or that had been, those things are not okay with me. And as you begin to reassert that, right, as you begin to express it, and, and for me, it was going back and expressing from my wounded child, but actually feeling that anger, expressing that anger in its appropriate fashion, right? So inappropriate anger is repressed. Inappropriate anger is the anger, the toxic anger that you were referring to. But appropriate anger is, these are my boundaries. This is who I am. That's not okay with me, mm-hmm. right? And when we move that energy, that really leads to that resiliency mm-hmm. because you begin to trust yourself. Mm-hmm. Because when we repress emotions, what we're repressing is 
how we authentically feel about something. Mm-hmm. And instead, we're adopting a false belief that mm-hmm. isn't actually true mm-hmm. about how we are or who we, feel, like, who we feel ourselves to be or what we're saying into the world, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody oversteps a boundary, let's say somebody says something abusive to me, mm-hmm. and, instead, and I'm scared so I don't speak up, mm-hmm. right? And let's say it was in my childhood and this happened over the course of time then what is happening is I'm internalizing. I have to adopt a defense mechanism. I have to adopt a belief system that allows me to think that what's happening to me is okay. So that might be, this is just how my dad shows me love, Mm. right? Or this is just how my mom, um, this is just how my mom is, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. where we're downplaying or inflating it or, Mm -hmm. right, turning it into something it's not. Or turning it on ourselves. Or turning it on ourselves. And in any of those cases, it's a, we begin to believe something that's not true about ourselves. Mm -hmm. We begin to believe things that are not true about the world, Mm -hmm. right? So when we come back to the, wait a minute, you can't talk to me that way, Mm -hmm. right? Like it hurts when you talk to me that way. And Mm -hmm. your, your language is abusive. Mm -hmm. When we say that, we reclaim our power because we reclaim our truth Mm -hmm. that's inside of us of, I don't actually think that's okay. Mm -hmm. And when we say, I don't actually think that's okay, then we stop being tolerant of other things that aren't okay. So if we grow up with the belief of like, that's just how, that's just how men are, Mm -hmm. right? You know, and thinking that men just express their anger that way. And that's just how men are, Right. Well, if we see a man doing that to another person in public, or if we see a man doing that to an animal, or if we see, mm-hmm. then we tend to not say anything because we've integrated or accepted, maybe we haven't integrated, but we've accepted a belief system that's not true, and we don't know how to speak up against the injustice, mm-hmm. right? So we have a lot of what's going on in our society right now, so a lot of people are tolerating a lot of mm-hmm. things that they don't actually believe to be true, mm-hmm. but they've had to create stories and defense mechanisms and stuff around in order mm-hmm. to survive. Like when they were younger, mm-hmm. it was a survival mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. But when we, when we heal those wounds and we begin to speak up and say like, actually, that's not okay to speak to somebody like that. You can't speak to me that way. Even if it's 30 years after the fact, 50 years after the fact, mm-hmm. right? When we go through that process of feeling that anger and expressing that anger, then we stop turning our, our heads away from other injustices in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because so we align powerful. with our truth, right? Right. We know what our Let's truth is. We claim that this is not okay. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's the bottom line. It's like, I feel like we've come to a place where, or we've been living in an, in an environment, I should say, where there had to be a reason. Mm-hmm. And that hurt wasn't mm-hmm. a sufficient reason. Mm-hmm. And there's so much logic and rationality that people are then trying to put logic and rationality in order to communicate it to some mm-hmm. to someone else or something, even if you right. even are trying to communicate it. And mm-hmm. and then that becomes this reminds me of being in relationship with somebody who was really attached to mm-hmm. rationality. Mm-hmm. And my emotions no longer had any place. Right. They were rationally explained away. And that is so, I mean, not only infuriating, but it just, it shuts you down so much. Teaches you not to trust yourself. Yeah. And you just, I mean, you can't, you stop communicating really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And 
it's a passive aggressive's best friend. <laughs> yeah, totally, right? <laughs> yeah, and so let's talk a little bit about this because I'm sure people who are listening completely relate to what we're what we're talking about and have had or are in any number of relationships, whether that's at work mm-hmm. or whether that's with family or, or whatever, where these dynamics are at play. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about how life can be when you start to lovingly express what's true and, and I'm going to call it sacred because it mm-hmm. is, it's, it's your truth. It's not anybody else's Yeah, and you don't need it to be anybody else's. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what my experience has been personally and what I've seen in my clients mm-hmm. as they've gone through this work is that you begin to, you begin to live your truth. And as you begin to live your truth, because you be, are no longer afraid to say things or to stand up for yourself. Um, what happens is that um, you begin to trust yourself more. Mm-hmm. You begin to live more in the flow. Mm-hmm you begin to align with your more true purpose, if that's appropriate for you, which oftentimes it is, because when we're taught to deny our feelings, we often grow up then out of touch with our true desires, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're told by parents, for example, to, if, if we're told, don't be sad, don't cry, don't be angry, don't do this, don't do that, we may also, we, we conform to so that we can feel safe in our environment, right? So I don't want to be chastised. So we're told to be something other than who I am. So I'm going to pretend to be all these things that I'm not. Well, we often end up pretending or going into a field or profession that isn't really our passion, right? And we end up being in relationships with people who we don't really want to be in relationship with just because we are accustomed to living this falseness. Mm-hmm. So as we come out of that falseness, as we begin to express what we really mean, even if it's, especially when it's from childhood, early childhood, we notice when we express the repressed emotions of early childhood that our current environment changes, mm-hmm. right? We leave relationships that are toxic, whether that's mm-hmm. with other people or with institutions or jobs or whatever. We leave those relationships and we start to find relationships that are mutually beneficial mm-hmm. and that are uplifting and that mm-hmm. honor our voice, right? Because mm-hmm. we're honoring our voice. We then attract people who also honor our voice, our true mm-hmm. voice. Mm-hmm. And in that alignment, as it keeps going, then we start, we align with a job that feels better for us. We really tune into that holy hell yes, mm-hmm. right? We're able to get it more. Now it's a process. So, I mean, I, I was terrified of anger for years because I grew up in a household where overt anger was not acceptable. But underneath the surface, that passive aggressive anger, anger <clears throat> and stifled anger was very, very prominent. My, my response was a nervous system response that was adaptive. My adaptive nervous system response from childhood was freeze response, right? So if my partner, my current partner and I get into an argument, my first response is a freeze response. That's the first thing that happens. And my partner, he immediately wants to talk about everything. He immediately wants to hash it all out. He immediately wants to get it all done. And I can't process that quickly because I'm in a freeze response. That's my mm-hmm. first thing that happens. Mm-hmm. But what has happened over the course of time now, I used to stay in a freeze response. And in my, in past relationships, there could have been a lot of gaslighting that went along with that, Right. And I would never speak up for myself because I would never be able to find the words. Now with 
Scott, I have an immediate freeze response, but I'm able to say to him, I need time to process. Let's talk about this in two hours or tonight, whatever, right? It's usually not, it used to be, <laughs> it took a long time. Mm -hmm. Now it's pretty quick. I just need to come bring myself out of the freeze response so that I can think again. Mm -hmm. Like I get stuck. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's recognizing where I am in my healing process too, right? Mm -hmm. Like oh, I'm a hell of a lot better. I can talk about all of this stuff now. Still takes me a minute, mm -hmm. right? So I catch myself there and then I'm able to communicate to him. I need a little bit of time. As soon as I communicate that, usually I come out of the freeze and the wheels start rolling, mm -hmm. right? I start mm -hmm. processing the information mm -hmm. and then I'm able to go to him and say, this is what was, this is why I'm upset. Mm -hmm. This is what hurt my feelings, or this is why I was triggered, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. right? That is a difference. So now I'm in a relationship that's super communicative and loving, and the container is there, and I'm able to speak mm -hmm. my truth. And it's not perfect. We work really hard at our relationship, right? Mm -hmm. The best relationships can bring out the deepest wounds. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so we work really hard at our relationship. And also, because of where I am in my healing journey, the most fulfilling relationship I've ever had. Mm -hmm. It's the hardest and the most fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not hiding from anything. Right. And I, you know, I love what you say about just give yourself some space and some time. Mm -hmm. um, how I'd relate that to what I was trained in with coaching is that we basically just to, to shorten the framework, mm -hmm. we have below the line and above the line. Below the line would be you're in fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. Well, what comes along with that is, okay, so you can't cry. Mm -hmm. It's physically impossible to cry mm -hmm. during, during fight, fight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. You've just taken a big shot of hormones, of mm -hmm. adrenaline and cortisol, and all these systems start doing these things for your body to prepare yourself to, mm -hmm. to, to run or to fight. And as humans, we don't then go burn off the response. Mm-hmm we've been taught to like move through it as quickly as we can to get to the other side mm -hmm. because there's also, you know, trauma from, you know, kind of lacking that trusting that the other human was still going to be there on the other side of this. Right? right. So what's so brilliant about you just being able to say like, just can we talk about this this evening or, or in a few mm -hmm. hours is you are honoring the fact that a physiological response has happened in your body. Mm -hmm. And with that physiological response, mm -hmm. we can literally only see one or two options. Yeah. If we can see any at all. Mm -hmm. And that's when we're in victim, martyr, perpetrator territory too, yeah. right? So we've yeah. perceived ourselves as a victim most likely and the other person is a, a perpetrator or we're being blamed mm -hmm. And we're feeling victimized by being blamed or something right. like that, right? We're in this dynamic. Mm -hmm. Whereas when we wait to have a conversation until we're above the line, mm -hmm. we see many options. We see many possibilities. We have our empathy back. We have our right. compassion back. We understand the other person wasn't trying to hurt us and we weren't trying to hurt them. They're not mm -hmm. a perpetrator or a victim and neither are we. We're yeah. just in a dynamic that's transpired. Yeah. And therefore, the conversation, the healing, the expansion that can happen out of that and the deeper connection that can happen out of that is mm -hmm. massive. Yeah, it's profound. It really, yep. really is. And I think the very first thing is to give yourself and others the benefit of the pause. Yeah. Which is a huge Absolutely. act of vulnerability and bravery in and of itself. Yeah. Absolutely.
Hmm. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think that it gives us all hope that when you're in aligned relationships that are authentic, mm-hmm. there's a flow mm-hmm. and it's just like, we know, and it doesn't mean that, you know, to your point, it's like, it's still going to be a journey. There's going to mm-hmm. be relationships of every type because there's, I don't know if you've read the Ram Dass book, Grist for the Mill, but I just love that phrase that everything is grist for the mill. Every mm-hmm. experience that we're having mm-hmm. is, being put into our spiritual expansion, our, our ability to live totally. authentically and truthfully, no matter how that's showing up in the moment. It's just basically which earth school class are we in? Right. Totally. <laughs> love that. That's so true. <laughs> so I've got one more thing that I'm dying mm-hmm. to ask you, and it's because of my own <clears throat> around it. And that, so I'd love your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, the term woo-woo part of the reason I wanted to ask you is I feel like it actually comes from probably some latent kind of patriarchal and also the religious fear Mm -hmm. of people's own power in essence. Yeah. Uh, I mean, totally. I don't know what the actual origin of it is, but it's a very dismissive term. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it does, what it does is it, it, it allows the people who are, who desire to remain in the old paradigm of it's this way or no way. It allows them to feel safe over there by being dismissive of this over here. The woman who owns the metaphysical center where my office is, Jamie Butler, has a saying, um, it's not woo-woo, it's true-true. Um, <laughs> and I love that. Um, yeah. But, you know, for me, and this is where I start all the time, when I'm teaching intuitive development, when I'm talking about, you know, my healing work, you know, I recommend to people that they go read some books because there mm-hmm. are some really good books out there. Um, the Holographic Universe, which I referenced earlier by Michael Talbot, he takes, he, he explains all of this through the lens of quantum physics. I mean, science validates everything that we do. Greg Braden is another great resource. He was formerly literally a rocket scientist. Mm-hmm. And now he, he, he writes books on metaphysical phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And it's all fascinating stuff. And there are lots of scientists. Bruce Lipton is another scientist who's written books on, on some of the metaphysical. I mean, there's a, there are a lot out there. And so I would just say to, if somebody is truly has an open mind. I mean, they have to be willing to open their minds, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some people just are not there. Mm -hmm. That's not their path in this lifetime, right? Right. But for those people who have any willingness to it, I I like to send them to those books because I think that those books allow you to take, like the, the argument for a lot of people is, well, it's not science. It actually, it is, Mm -hmm. you know? And so let's just allow for maybe that little shift in perspective, right? Um, here's something that will, will show you that this is in fact science. It is scientifically proven, you know, and, and, and sometimes you'll, you're, you're lucky. You'll get someone who's just open to trying, you know, um, a lot of people will not understand energy work no matter what you say to them until they actually experience it. Mm-hmm. When they experience it and they're like, holy crap, I don't know what just happened to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I had one client who was came to my office because his wife set up the appointment for him. Um, and he walked into my, he had done none of this stuff before. 
he walked into my office and immediately he stopped and he looked around and he was like, oh my God, what just happened? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he was like, the energy in here is so different. It feels so different. He had never experienced anything like it in his life. Just walking through the door of my wow. office, one of the most profound spiritual experiences he ever had. Wow. It completely shook his entire foundation of what he knew to be true. And it opened him up to receiving. Mm -hmm. He was able to receive the healing from that. But mm -hmm. he, I saw him again and he was like, he was like, nothing in my life has been as profound as what I experienced when I walked into your office and how different it felt and how calm it felt and how safe I felt in here. Wow. I mean, so some people, it's just, it will happen in its own time. Right. You know, too. Right. Right. And it, it continues to be, um, you know, it continues to be a part of this undoing of mm -hmm. these belief patterns and systems, which is what this is all about. Like yeah. this, this questioning of what is actually true. Mm -hmm. And I think that question in and of itself is a question in perpetuity. We can never know the answer, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but it becomes so much more fun to live because mm -hmm. instead of like boxing ourselves out of this, that, or the other thing with all these edges that we don't even realize we have, but we're just kind of doing it constantly mm -hmm. and automatically, yeah. all of a sudden, every single thing can be a curious exploration. There are so many things we can explore with no money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when we do have extra time. And I also find it so interesting that the two things that tend to be our go-to excuses as a culture mm -hmm. are, I don't have the money for it or I'm mm -hmm. too busy. Yeah. And I feel like we've touched upon both of those because you were talking earlier about charging and all this mm -hmm. and, and what people value, right? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, is it really true that people mm -hmm. don't have the money for what they need or want most, or is it just not mm -hmm. prioritized? And, and it depends. I mean, I'm not, mm -hmm. I don't want to bypass very real circumstances where people are, right. many, many people are, are struggling to, to just get food. And also for the people who do have extra time mm -hmm. right now, like the joy of curiosity, the joy yeah. of opening the mind, maybe it's reading one book that's super outside of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe it's doing a little bit of internet research or even listening to this podcast that yeah. might be on a topic that they're not normally mm -hmm. um, aligned to and just having complete permission to make up their own mind about it. Yeah. It is really, really fun when we open our minds to all of the things that we're sensing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, well, Curiosity so, goes a long way. It does. I'm so grateful that we had this conversation today. It's so much fun. Um, yeah. And I will include in the show notes all the ways that people can get in touch with you. But I just want to give my most heartfelt, sincere gratitude to you for both your healing journey which led you to then being able to serve in the way that you do. You've impacted my life far beyond words. And I know that that's true for so many others. And I'm excited for what's to come, your new offerings and continued expansion with you. Thank you so much, Tina. It was mm -hmm. great being here. And 
I'm really grateful for you as well.